listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects. Here, these are conversations that will differentiate you from your competition. Now, if you don't want to be different than your competition, probably should just go ahead and shut this off. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level. Like when we audit the mod and get and do the mod master and and give them the actionable items that they can that they can do in order to lower their cost of risk. This is Power Producers Shop Talk. Production redefined. Reasonable and what wasn't. And and I think that you know, that's, that's spot on. And, you know, these people that we're talking with don't necessarily understand what their exposures are and what they can even do about them, um, you know, when they're uncovered. So I, I do like that what we're able to provide is something tangible, action items that they can do. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Shop Talk episode number 18. Total cost of risk. What is it? What is that thing? What is it, man? What's total total cost cost of risk? Total cost of risk? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Everybody thinks they know it. Yeah, everybody thinks they know what it is and they run around chatterbox and, hey, man, let me talk to you about total cost of risk. And at the end of the day, they hand them an insurance proposal. I think it's become sort of a a buzzword, you know? that for you. Yeah. Let me, let me unpack that. <laughs> let me unpack total cost of risk and everything that goes into it. Let me, there is, I mean, there is some unpacking with it involved. I'd like to do a little deep diving, a little deep dive into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what other peel back the layers? Yeah. Let's peel back the onion a little bit. <laughs> Dude, we need to do a whole episode of nothing but making fun of ridiculous salesperson buzzwords. It's uh, horrible. It is things I will never, ever ever say i actually caught myself saying let me unpack that for you and i immediately punched myself in the groin for it. the only time that is acceptable is if your wife just bought in groceries or something and says can you help me unpack it (laughs) and i'll say that's what she said (laughs) but anyhow Uh, seriously man i mean i think it's a buzzword i think it's cliche so many people out there have you know started talking about total cost of risk but mm. i really don't think that there's a huge understanding of what it is that's right. out there you know and so i wanted to dedicate a little bit of time to talking about just the definition of what it is in sort of some of the components mm-hmm. that go into it so i mean the, the short answer is it's what it costs you to have a risk management function in your organization. Now, right. I mean, that's a very broad and ambiguous thing, but at the end of the day, that's that's exactly what it is. Anything mm-hmm. sur- surrounding you having a risk management function in your organization gets dumped in there. Yeah, okay. Right. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way, people. Right out of the box, yes, insurance premiums are a part of total cost of risk, but unfortunately of it's everybody focuses on and they forget all the other things and they're completely negligent of the fact in many cases that that's what's really driving the insurance premium. And so it's always been my philosophy that if I focus on all of the other stuff 
and I can show an underwriter that I have a handle on all of the other stuff Mm -hmm. that I'm going to get a much better result from an underwriting perspective, which translates into a more favorable program Mm -hmm. for my client on the insurance side, but also by focusing on all that other stuff, you know, we find out that there's inefficiencies in their operations or things that they're lacking that we have the ability to provide for them. So number one, you know, I think that if you're going to go down this road and you're going to begin to talk about total cost of risk, you need to stop thinking about yourself as an insurance salesman or even an insurance producer and start thinking of yourself as a risk manager. It's funny because I have so many people that I talk to that have gotten into insurance sales and into production that say, but I'm not really a salesperson. I don't know how to sell. I don't know. Guess what? If that's you, total cost of risk is exactly what you're looking for in life. You're looking for the analytics. You're looking for the mathematical case. You're looking for the numbers that you need to be able to use at the point of sale to persuade someone or convince them that you're the right option. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a big deal, man. I think that's huge. Yeah, it definitely is. I think maybe sometimes where people get lost in it is just because it, it, you know, it is such a broad or, you know, general um, term is, is that it's, it's tough for, for people initially to figure out what actually goes into it. So, I mean, like you said, you've got to, there's got to be measurable things like quantifiable, um, you know, data points that, that you can, that you can use. Otherwise you start, you just start kind of rambling about total cost of risk and you're, and you're, you're not giving them any specific points or things to fix or, or things that are impacting their premium because you're right. I think everybody thinks of premium and thinks that that's their main cost of risk, but we talk about it all the time. I don't, I don't know when the last time we brought it up on here was, but the premiums are well, like 20, 25% of, of the total cost of risk on average. Well, I always, I always say 20%, but I don't do it from a mathematical perspective. As far as those dollars are always 20%. I, sure. I say it's 20% of the total cost of risk calculation. And what I mean is there are five real parts to total cost of risk. Okay. In terms mm-hmm. of what you're going to calculate. Premium is one of those five. So that's where I come up with that 20% number. The actual raw premium, yeah, it it could be 20%. It could be 50%. I mean, it's going to float a little bit. Mm -hmm. But my point in using the 20% of the calculation illustration is why are people focusing on 20% instead of one one aspect of the the picture? Yeah. Yeah, it's the 80 20 rule. And so, is it, I mean, is it because that's, a lot of times the biggest chunk that they can see, like it, it's, it's a tangible thing. They're like, okay, my insurance premiums, like they get their renewal every year. They see the, the premium and it's just something easy. And that's why they think it's the, the, the biggest chunk. And because all the other stuff is kind of hidden behind the scenes. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense in my head. And, and the fact that people aren't explaining all the other things that are going into it. Well, I think it's two things. I think number one is the fact that they've never taken the time to learn total cost of risk. They just automatically are looking at it as total cost of insurance and they understand the insurance piece in the insurance transaction and and they've never really taken the time to go that route. And the other thing is, you know, look, I've said this time and time again, it, it, it goes back to taking the extra time and the extra steps to not only understand something, but be able to articulate that and educate your client or prospect on exactly what it means. I mean, that's, 
that's the biggest thing for me to go in and have to and not have to, but for me to go in and talk to a prospect about total cost of risk, that's a process. It's a process that's going to require me, number one, to know exactly what I'm talking about. But number two, be able to reproduce that that content and my understanding in a way that a client or prospect who's never heard that concept before will understand it. Mm. And the thing is, it's one of those deals where, honestly, when you're sitting there talking to somebody... It's almost like when I'm when I'm in there and I'm presenting to a prospect and talking about total cost of risk, I'm constantly looking to see when the light bulb clicks, when it goes off, mm-hmm. because there's always a time. Do you, do you find Do you find that it is um, that th- that light bulb is going off for people at the same time in in the conversation? Like no, no commonality. I, I don't think that it is because part of it I is mean, it's situational. Obviously, it depends. Yeah, it depends on it depends on which meet, you know, what meeting this is. If this is the first meeting where we're doing fact finding and things like that, I'm always going to introduce the concept. I'm always going to explain it to them. And I'm mm-hmm. going to talk in more general terms because I haven't been given information from them that allows me to quantify anything for them. So I'm basically setting the table to say, let me ask you some questions about some things. Then I'll get that quantification. Then I can use that to use the calculation at the actual meeting the second so let, meeting. let's talk about that because i think that's an important point so how do you introduce that to them you're not asking as pointed questions how, how are you getting them to sort of go down that path yeah so it's it's funny um typically i'll just i'll just start asking them questions but i want to i usually will start that conversation by apologizing for the insurance industry that's the easiest way yep. to start that conversation to say look i want to let you know that I'm here uh, around your renewal because that's what, unfortunately, you've been conditioned to do is meet mm-hmm. with people like me only around your renewal. So I'm interested in having a conversation with you about total cost of risk because that's what my agency does. Mm-hmm. I apologize that we've conditioned you to focus on insurance premium because we've done you a disservice. We've had you focus on one piece of the overall operation of your risk management function. And in some cases, that one piece could be less than the sum of the rest by a long shot, right? Mm -hmm. Or even one of them. If you had, for example, if you've got a guaranteed cost workers comp program and you had one shock loss, the indirect costs associated with that claim that you didn't pay, right? Mm-hmm. Those are going to exceed what your premium is in many cases because of what we talk about all the time with the Bureau of Labor Statistics telling us indirect costs are two to 20 times. And you know it's important to note that you need to you, – you have a decision to make, and I, I don't want to belabor this point too much, but there's two different schools of thought. Some people think you should include indirect cost to claims. Because you can use an example like what I do and just use that consistently. And I always use two to 20 times the direct costs. So mm-hmm. I just use the assumption of 2x for illustration's sake. But some people say, eh, not really quantitative. That's more qualitative. It's more difficult to prove because they're soft costs and it shouldn't be calculated in total cost of risk. If you're going to use that, you need to just pick one method and stick with it. And that's why I always use 2x. I use 2x because you cannot win an argument with me if I'm using 2x. Yeah, It just can't happen because there's no way. And you have to understand, if if the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and I will now refer to them as the BLS going forward, because I'm tired of saying it. 
if the BLS says <laughs> it's, it's two, yeah, if 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 the BLS says it's two to twenty times, you know for a fact that the best in class companies are at the low at end. Two. Yeah, right. So if I'm walking into a middle market company and I tell them that your indirect costs associated with claims are two times, they can't argue with that. Right. Because they're not a Fortune Especially, 500 company that's got a full blown risk management, you know, function and everything else that's in there. So my, my favorite is the is, is the example that you've given a number of times about the. Uh, I refuse to give that example again right now. So. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. No. 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 I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, places that have a, a mod that's through the roof that are trying to argue the fact that they that they don't think they have you know all of these soft costs associated with their with their claims yeah but, but yeah. yet the best in class only have two times <laughs> but right, yeah. you're trying to tell me that you're best in class with your 1.5 mod yeah with doubt exactly and, and the the example I always use that particular account actually had like a 2.23 mod and they didn't believe they had two X. So That's whatever, you know, whatever. So, you know, let's talk about the components of total cost to risk first, because I think if you, if you talk about what makes it up, then you have the easy, it's an easier way for you to explain it to your clients, because that would mm-hmm. be a natural way for you to explain it. So I'll typically start out with an apology saying, look, we're going to have a different conversation. You're either going to, you're either going to buy into what I talk about because it's so different and you've never heard it before, but it's going to make a lot of sense to you. Mm-hmm. Or for the next several minutes, you're going to sit here and stare at me like I have an eyeball in the middle of my forehead, like a cyclops. <laughs> so the first thing, obviously, is insurance premiums. We've talked about that. You know, insurance premiums are an easy to measure hard cost. They are a part of total cost of risk. But I think it's important to know they're also the end result of how well you're managing the mm-hmm. other 80%, the other things. Yep. The, sec- the second thing that we talk about is um, retained losses, okay? And when we talk about retained losses, these are the things that you have made a conscious decision to retain actively, actively retained losses. They are a deductible. If you have a general liability policy with a $5,000 deductible, you're responsible for everything inside the first $5,000 before your insurance carrier is going to respond. And so one thing that needs to happen, and I can promise you this is not happening in many cases. Now, there's some really good agents out there that are doing this, but I would say the overwhelming majority aren't. When you're looking at the loss runs for these accounts, if you're getting ready to take them to market, you're going to calculate total cost of risk. You need to take every single one of those claims that was under $5,000 that fell in the deductible layer, add those all up and add them into the total cost of risk because those people paid for that. Right. You could even make the argument that that could fall into total cost of insurance because if you're paying, you know, if you have 10 claims that are $4,000 each, but you have a $5,000 deductible, you need to add $40,000 to whatever you paid in premium to determine what that total cost of insurance is, right? Mm-hmm. So total cost of risk, no different. Your actively retained losses are going to go in there. Other ones that go in there are, you know, passive losses, right? They're, they're, they're losses that weren't covered or losses you didn't realize you were retaining, but you still had to pay out. And so those losses also get factored into total cost of risk. So maybe you don't have um, you don't have a deductible on your policy. And I would say that, you know, from an insurance structure standpoint, if you don't have a deductible, 
but you're paying out of pocket. You're not right. right. Because there's a lot of places, there's a lot of places I've been in before. Well, they'll take a, like a plumbing company, they'll take a $5,000 deductible and then they'll beat on your, on their chest. When you ask them, Hey, tell me, Hey Sparky, what's up with all these claims that are not less than $5,000. Like there's mm-hmm. not one small, cl- Oh, well, we don't want the insurance company to get involved on this. So we just pay them out of pocket in house. It's a horrible decision. If you're going to pay anything under $5,000, take a deductible. Right. Why wouldn't you? Because what you're doing is you're operating as if you have a deductible, but number one, you're not getting a deductible credit on your premium because the insurance company doesn't know. So, hey, Einstein, really good thought process, not letting the carrier know you're operating like you have a deductible. Here's another fun fact. They want you to have a deductible. They don't have a problem with you having a $5,000 deductible so that you can pay anything that's this small little crap that's just more of an annoyance than anything else. Mm -hmm. But the second thing you lose by not involving the carrier is you don't get the ability to work with their adjusters because in a deductible situation, the carrier is going to handle all of the adjusting. Yeah, you've got no help. Yeah, they're going to do it. They're going to handle all of the adjusting on the claim and then they're going to pay it out and then they're going to bill you back for whatever the deductible is. That's a big difference between a self-insured retention mm-hmm. and a deductible. A deductible, the carrier p- typically pays the deductible first and then bills the client. So the client reimburses the carrier once the claim is closed out and, and they've been billed. Whereas a self-insured retention is the client's responsible for it. And ultimately the carrier will engage once that self-insured retention will be hit. Now your policy language is going to vary from carrier to carrier and also probably from whether or not you're in a standard market or excess and surplus line. So please don't take this as David's issuing the gospel truth, but you you do need to look by and large in most generalities. That's how that goes down. And mm-hmm. so you don't get the benefit of using their adjuster. And the other thing you don't get the benefit of these carriers have pre-negotiated rates. So if they're going to have a contractor go out and it's a preferred provider for a contractor that is engaged with an international massive insurance company, who's got more leverage and buying power? Sure. You know, don't send your brother-in-law over to do the drywall work, hoping for the best. You're going to be probably dealing with a mold claim down the road that also is more than likely not covered. So I I think looking at both active and, and passive losses are important. The other thing is you have to look at um, what the actual departmental costs are. Do you like, have, risk, like risk management stuff? Yeah. Do you have a yeah. risk manager? What's his salary? His or her salary? Do right. You have or if they, yeah. Or if they brought you know another outside firm in to do it for them or something. Yeah. I mean, what about what about? Um, well, but that's separate. That that also goes in. So outside firm would be well. I just meant like an out. Like okay, I got you. Yeah, it's a separate component. So you're looking at um, active losses retained, passive losses retained. Then you're looking at your internal uh, risk management departmental costs. So if you have a safety committee, for example, right, you probably need to be allocating the hours that anybody who's on that safety meeting is clocked in for when they're actively holding a safety meeting once a week, once a month, whenever that is. But anything at all that goes into the internal risk management piece. And you you need to be able to code that and allocate that. I'm actually going to have an article coming out in a couple of weeks on why you want to allocate the cost of risk and then also the steps associated with allocating the cost of risk. But, you, you know, good segue. The, the other component of that 
uh, is outside service fees. Like, what about if you have an ergonomics person come in to do a study at a workstation uh, to see if it's set up correctly and you have to pay that person, you know, a retainer or they bill you by the hour for their time? That is total cost of risk. What about if you have an industrial hygienist come in or somebody who comes in to do thermo scanning of your equipment to see if it's operating at the proper temperature or they do noise pollution tests to determine whether or not your people are being exposed to excessive amounts of noise. You know, these are all things that you have to do. Now, listen, if you're sitting there talking to somebody in a meeting, it's real easy to have that conversation. You know, you're going to get the loss runs. So you can figure out active and passive retained losses based on the law or at least actively retained losses off of the loss runs. But Mm -hmm. during conversation, you can say, hey, just out of curiosity in your history, have you guys had to deal with any situation where there was a claim that wasn't covered? And what did that look like? And you're, you know, that's a normal conversation anybody can ask. And so you should, whether you're going to calculate the total cost of risk or not, because it is a wedge you can drive that they may have forgotten about. Um, You can talk about that and you can say, so I understand you probably don't, but do you have somebody here who's a risk manager? And they're probably going to tell you no, because most of the clients that we're going after, even though they're a decent size in the middle market, they're still not at a point where they have a dedicated on, um, you know, staff right. risk manager. But you know what they do have? Most of them have a safety captain, like safety captain. Yeah. Captain safety. You know? <laughs> he wears a leotard with a cape and he shows up and he talks uh, about it. Sounds like the worst superhero ever. He unpacks a lot of safety material. He just peels back layers of safety onions. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> there's usually somebody who's responsible for safety. And right. many times it's by title only. Okay. But you know, it's a they, lot of times it's like a, it's just an additional responsibility that the office manager has. Yeah. Or, or hey, there's Joe. He used to work in a steel mill. He must know about safety. Right. <laughs> yeah. mean, Meanwhile, Joe's sitting there with like one arm missing, and um, it's pretty. But any, you know, but anyhow, you need to look at that because if you do have a dedicated safety resource, and that dedicated safety resource is um, spending time on things, you need to allocate a portion of their time to it. Mm-hmm. They don't have a, a risk manager. If they have a safety committee, like I said, that's somebody else that, that you're going to look at um, in terms of of adding that into the total cost of risk, but. You know, there are so many ways that this comes up. Like, hey, just out of curiosity, you guys have a lot of a machinery. You ever had a noise study done? Oh, you did last year. How much was that? Mm-hmm. You know, has anybody ever come in? And by the way, people, in it's, case it's, you're it's, it's out because that? that's good stuff because you know you don't always think about that or at least I don't if I'm sitting in front of you know somebody and you know see that that's thinking outside of the box in order to again differentiate yourself when you're when you're dealing with it. there's not a chance in hell that anybody has asked them about a noise study before no way no no and here's another one by the way and I'm and, and you if you're not taking notes yet take notes now like yeah. right now you should start taking notes if you want a huge wedge to drive, especially if you're going into a manufacturing facility, I don't even know what this means, but I ask it all the time and it works. Hey, when's the last time somebody came in and did an infrared thermal scan of your equipment to make sure it's at the proper operating temperature so that we don't face a business income loss on mechanical breakdown going forward? It's like Will Ferrell in old school, man. I just, yeah, I just out. What, what happened? That's the, way, that's the way you do it. That's the way you debate. I mean, seriously, man. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. And so, but what I do know is this. Chubb has a guy. Chubb has a guy that has a thermal scanner 
that will go. So, in. so what was the situation that happened for you to find this out? Because this is the most random thing I've ever heard in my life. So what happened is I decided when I got into the insurance industry early in my career that if I was going to truly focus on total cost of risk and be an outsourced risk manager, mm. that I wanted to be at every single loss control visit that there was. And mm. I wrote a big manufacturing facility. And within the first two months, I went to two loss control visits. The first one was for them to monitor the water pressure on the pump for the sprinkler system. Absolutely most boring thing I've ever seen. Other than it was pretty cool to see the water initially rushing out of there in a crazy fashion. But I don't know what the water pressure is supposed to look like or right. any of that stuff. I can Google it. That's worthless knowledge to me. What I did do was show up. And my client said, holy cow, man, I can't believe you came here for this. We have this done every year and no agent has ever shown up before. Yeah. Well, go to the water test. Number two. They, they went in and they had an infrared scanner that they would use to check all of this automated manufacturing equipment. And basically what it does is make sure that all of the preventive maintenance and things are keeping it operating at the optimal temperature so that they're not having to uh, worry. So you don't worry about mechanical breakdown or something yeah. on fire or whatever else. And I found out that Chubb had a dedicated resource that would do those things. And so every time I wrote a piece of business with Chubb or I was calling on a prospect that I knew would be somebody that Chubb would write. Fit in there. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, here we go. And I'm sure other people in the meeting are just kicking themselves under the table. Up oh, here goes Carruthers with the infrared thing again. He has no clue what he's talking about, you know. But now I do know what it is. And the reason why is because I stepped out from behind my desk and decided I was going to participate in what was going on in my clients' businesses. Anybody can learn this. It's not like I didn't go to school for it. I just have enough sense to know, oh, that sounds like it's extra work. I bet a normal agent wouldn't do it. I'm going to do that. You know, yeah. it's that simple. And you have to listen. You have to train yourself to hear these things and know it. But again, now it becomes wedges that you can drive. So it's not just a matter of you using it to calculate total cost of risk. You said it yourself. That's the most random thing. Nobody's ever, I've never even yeah. heard of that before. And, and you've been with me how long, right? And so right. <laughs> now I can go in and I can have that conversation and be like, well, no, we didn't have that. I wonder why we've never gotten that before. And now you've mm -hmm. got a wedge based off of a function of total cost of risk. And then you can show them that, oh, by the way, if you did have it, here's, here's your worst case scenario in all of this. Mm -hmm. Your worst case scenario is they already had it done. Right. Okay, great. That's awesome, man. Good job. You know, we find that a lot of people don't typically have that done. Did your carrier provide that service for you or did the agency handle that? Or is that something that you paid out of pocket? And you just keep going. If right. you find out that they had, because what happens is, especially if you're in a situation where you've got a, a property account and if you're in coastal areas and probably even more than that in the country these days, you know, you're going to find more and more property in excess and surplus lines. Here's what we know about excess and surplus lines property. There will always be an inspection. 100% of the time, because that's how they can uh, get away with charging that, quote, inspection fee, right? Mm -hmm. So that person's going to go and they're going to find things. Well, guess what? When they go and find it, they don't go with the premise of we're going to go and we're going to inspect this and we're going to go ahead and do the infrared scanning. No, that's not what they do. They show up with a checklist that says, I look to see if they've had infrared scanning done. No. And they check yeah. that box. That becomes a recommendation. And then you're on your own to go out and get that done. Mm-hmm. I just dealt with this with one of my accounts that's a large feed manufacturer. They are in excess and surplus lines. Somebody came in and said, hey, you need to have infrared scanning, blah, 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 blah. I told my client, don't worry about it. We're good. I've already got 
you know, the guy that does this, I'll make sure that it gets taken care of, so on and so forth. But if you're an ENS and you're looking to move them to the middle market, you should pick up the phone and call the loss control people, your carriers right now and say, hey, do you offer infrared scanning of equipment? Because there's a lot of tricks like that. I don't want to you know, derail the course of this conversation. And really, we need to probably wrap it up here in a second anyhow. But it goes back to it's the same thing if you write standalone boiler and machinery coverage. If you're writing boiler and machinery with mechanical breakdown as a standalone policy, one of the number one ways to sell that policy, aside from the fact that it's dirt cheap, is you get a free inspection from them. <laughs> True. So the premium is something ridiculous, like a penny per hundred of values on the total insurable values. And if you get nothing else out of it, you get an inspection. Right. But that inspection could save your business as could as could the coverage. So, you know, that's some of the stuff you have to look at. But again, it goes back to I'm not just an agent. You know, you have to look at it as you're a risk manager and we can get into all kinds of other things like enterprise risk management and how human resources tends to play into it and all of that. But if you just keep it basic and you look at those four or five components every time you go in, yeah, you might get somebody from Harvard that's got a doctoral degree in risk management that comes back in and says, you know what, that guy's nuts. He's not giving you enough information. You know, he's completely inaccurate. That is not an accurate total cost of risk calculation. He's off by a standard deviation of whatever. And I'm going to tell him to take his tweed sport coat off and shove it in his face and go away because I'm not here to teach you how to calculate total cost of risk to the nth degree of accuracy. I'm here to teach you how you can use it in its most basic premise to drive a wedge and differentiate yourself at the point of sale so you can get a deal closed. Mm-hmm. If you think that your prospect is interested in Johnny Harvard in his tweed three-piece suit and little newspaper boy hat, what do they call those, scullies, those things, the, the Boston scully, that's what that hat is. It keeps showing up in my Facebook news feed, so it's only a matter of time till I buy one. <laughs> I will walk around with my art of shaving, clean-shaven face, with my Dr. Squatch soap and shampoo, wearing my bird dog shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, bird dog is all over my feed. And a scully. That, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And by the way, I got it. I can't. I cannot get off of this episode without saying this. I saw the most awesome thing. There is a 100% chance I'm doing this today. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. For $89.95, I can buy a one-foot-by-one-foot plot of land in Scotland. And by me doing that, they will issue me a certificate where I'm officially named a lord in title. And I can refer to myself as Lord David Carruthers going forward. (laughs) Who is not going to want that on their business card? Oh, my gosh. That is ridiculous. That is the greatest way ever to blow $89.95. I've done so much more stupid stuff than that for $90. Can you imagine? Like, I would immediately have to upgrade my wardrobe. I'd have to walk around with a scepter and, you know, a frilly shirt or something. And and, and you can be uh, sure. You know you what? Sign offer. me up. You you sold me. I mean, we need to buy tapestries for the office. <laughs> my tapestries for the office. Listen, people, uh, this was a good episode. If you listen to this and you got this far, God bless you. But 
This is exactly what happens in the real world. Don't worry about being 100% accuracy, accurate when you do this. Mm-hmm. Worry about understanding, A, that I can show that I think about things holistically and differently than anybody else. And B, if I ask these questions the right way, I'm not only going to get the information I need to come up with a calculation, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to be able to drive a wedge because I can assure you, insurance salespeople are not having these conversations. Definitely. I don't have any more, man. I need to shut this down because the weekend just started. Yes. Peace See and it. lordship is on its way. <laughs>